Praise God, we're a clapping church. <laughs> clapping is important because people will always gravitate to where they are celebrated, not where they're tolerated. Amen? Amen? And if you want to create culture, you create culture by what you celebrate. If we want a culture of humility, we celebrate humility. If we want a culture of evangelism, we celebrate reaching the lost. Amen? If you want a culture of loving your spouse, we celebrate that. If we want a culture of people feeling accepted just for who they are, for not doing anything, we celebrate birthdays. I'm going to feel that a birthday is the only time where you're celebrated just for not doing anything, just for existing. Yeah. Just for being there. Even if Michael was a bad pastor, we'd still say like, hey, Michael. <laughs> but he's not, yes. <laughs> okay. Praise God. Father, we thank you for what you're teaching us concerning leadership. We open our hearts to you. We open our hearts to the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I thank you, God, that you are unleashing greatness in this place. I thank you, God, that the greatness within us is being unlocked. And that you will get all the glory and all the honor. And the people of God say it. Amen and amen. Last week I began a series called The School of Leadership. And I shared with you that our leadership that we're talking about applies to leadership in the church, leadership at home, leadership in society, leadership in business, leadership in the nation. And I want to carry on because I started off by talking about Daniel and I shared with you that the first thing we realize about Daniel is that leaders arise in times of crisis. Very often we're looking for the good days, but how many of your leaders arise in times of darkness? And the context in which Daniel arose as a leader was a time where Jerusalem had just been besieged. It had just been besieged and he went into exile. And God called him to disciple the very people who had captured him. Could it be that God is calling you to disciple your enemies? I'm going to say it again. Could it be that God is calling you right now in this hour to be discipling your enemies? And the way we arise as leaders is we make sure that we're courageous where everyone else is fearful. So what is the darkness around you? What is the crisis around you? Could it be that God is saying, leaders, arise? So we're going to continue, and I'll start off by reading in verse, I'll read from verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz... I was about to crack a joke about that name, but I won't. <laughs> then the king ordered Ashpenaz, sounds like an Eldorado Park name. The king ordered Ashpenaz. Those of you who know Eldorado Park, I met interesting people actually a couple of days ago. Interesting names. There was a lady, I asked her, what's your name? She said, Nada. I said, what are your kids' names? And I knew that they'll be even funkier than Nada. <laughs> Have we got any Sierra Leans here? Anyway, the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect. How many of you have got no physical defects? Handsome. How many of you are handsome? Come on, even if it's a faith statement, just say, Amen. <laughs> Take it, it's yours. Take it, it's yours. Take it, it's yours. You know those testimonies we hear. And the, there was revival. And the pastor prayed for us. And you know how I look? But now look at me. <laughs> okay. 
without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, not just some kind, every kind of learning. People like Mpendulo, where's Mpendulo? Showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand. Some are slow. Quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them, this is this official, he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. This is very powerful. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. Say to the person next to you, they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service, not before. The second point I want to make, the first point was that leaders arise in times of crisis. The second point I want to make that we see in this passage is that we are to get the necessary preparation so that we are chosen. Get the necessary preparation so that you are chosen. The way God will select you is very often based on your preparation. Say to the person next to you, get prepared. You see, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. But the way he qualifies us is through his process of preparation. And my question to you this morning is, what process have you been through? How many of you know that there are different ways in which God processes us? Daniel was in this situation where God raised him up. And I just wonder what was the process he had been through even while he was still in Jerusalem. Because I can tell you right now, he wasn't chosen just based on his attitude in those three years. But that there, was, there were other things taking place in his life prior to that. That God said, I want to raise this guy up in the most powerful kingdom, the most powerful empire in the world right now. And some of you have been through a process. And there are ways God processes. And when you're not aware of how God processes and prepares you, you will get offended by the process. How many of you know that sons get processed in a certain way? There's a way that my wife and I are processing our children right now. And sometimes that process involves their behinds. I know some people are into modern day stuff. and like, I won't do that. I won't do this and so on. I spare the rod, spoil the child. But the process of discipline where a child is aligned to the purposes of God for his or her life. My question to you right now is what process are you going through? Because your process is your preparation. Sons go through different types of processes. Delinquent sons might go through the pigsty process. How many of them we've got a pigsty process? If you look at the guy who left his father and basically said, I'm going to do my own thing, the, what we call the prodigal son, he was processed by the pigsty. I mean, you know that sometimes you have to end up eating your own vomit before you realize, I need to go back home. How is God processing you right now? There's a process through the pigsty. There's a process that comes from spiritual fathering. There's a process that comes from God's discipline. 
There's a process that is very intentional that you put yourself under through training. And in this particular case, Daniel and his friends had to go through three years of training. What's your preparation? What's your preparation right now? Get the necessary preparation so that you are chosen. In 2 Timothy chapter, five, chapter 2, verse 15, Paul encourages Timothy to do an interesting thing. It says in the Living Bible, Work hard so God can say to you, Well done. Be a good workman, one who does not need to be ashamed when God examines your work. Know what his word says and means. In the NIV it says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Some translations say, study to show yourself a workman approved. One of the patterns I've seen in my life is that when I study a particular concept or a particular subject, and I might even just share it with a few friends, I might write a book on it, I might share it with a handful of people in Bible school. But I'm noticing a pattern that I cannot deny, that some months after that, all of a sudden I see people in the corporate world asking me out of the blue, Paul, can you do such and such for us? And it will be the very thing I've been doing to a handful of people or in private. Yes. I think I shared with you before, there was a time in Bible school, I was teaching on self-esteem. I was teaching on self-esteem, a biblical approach to self-esteem. And what happens? A well-known organization, some weeks later, then says, Paul, can you do a workshop on self-esteem for us? Come on now. I was teaching on depression, just around that self-esteem side of things, at a time in, in last year, was it? Towards the end of last year, I was teaching on depression and overcoming depression. A few weeks later, one of the main banks, a guy who heads up the business banking, comes to me and says, Paul, you're a psychologist. Yes. Please, some of the guys are struggling with depression here. Can you please do a thing for us in depression? When you're prepared in certain areas, God notices it because you're starting to show yourself approved and doors begin to open for you. Someone is getting it. What preparation is necessary for you right now? What preparation is necessary for you? My book on a high trust leadership, some of you have seen it, has just come out. And I find it interesting because it had just come out, but I've taught so many times on that subject, mainly in the corporate world. How do you build high trust teams? How do you become a high trust leader? A few days ago, I was giving a presentation I was, uh, for a few days with a particular NGO. It's a pan-African NGO with people from different parts of the, of, of the continent. And I was sharing with the leadership earlier on that one of the bishops, who, the bishop who heads up the council of churches, who runs the council of churches in this country, he's on that particular board. He pitches up just before my talk. He's there taking notes as I'm speaking on high trust leadership. A couple of days later, some of you might have watched the news. He's the guy, Bishop Lucy. He's the guy who's there basically speaking on the news about various things happening in our nation right now. And I say to myself, Lord, could it be that that was the last talk he heard before he spoke to the nation. You see, when you are prepared and when you are faithful with the small, you never know who your audience might be. 
A few years ago, I remember speaking to a particular group of people, and the speaker after me was um, the public protector, and I told you the story. And she pitched up, and I was still speaking, as is my custom, I guess, but I think the program had been going for some time. But I was still speaking. So she sits there and she hears the tail end of my message. She comes in and speaks after me. She begins to quote me. I speak into her life afterwards. I won't share with you what I shared with her. But the point I'm making is, if you're faithful with that which God has deposited with you, and you keep on doing it, and you keep on doing it, kings will come into your presence. Influencers will come into your presence. And you don't know where your message might go. My question to you this morning is, what is God doing in your life right now? And are you saying, oh, I haven't got a big audience. And so you're beginning to give up. Or are you saying, I'll be faithful with, with that which he's given me. I will fine-tune it. As people give me feedback and say, Paul, can you tweak this? Paul, your grammar wasn't good here. I'll be faithful and I'll tweak it and I'll tweak it and I'll tweak it. And at a certain point, God raises you up and says, you're ready now. You've done your three years of training now, Daniel. I'm using examples in my own life because I've got them. Have you got similar examples in your own world, in your own life, but how God is opening doors because you prepared yourself? That's what he does in the school of leadership. What process is going to qualify you? Have you been processed by the pigsty? Have you been processed by a spiritual father? Have you been processed by your own suffering? I find it very interesting because we notice here that it says this official was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. How many of you know that to be effective in this world, we have to understand the language of the world? You see, for a long time, Christians had this thing, and I won't use the big word for it because I might pronounce it wrong, but had this thing where they'll separate themselves from society. And think that if I separate myself from society and I go to that holy mountain, that's where I can really be pure. That's where a lot of the celibacy of monks and that type of ideology came from. That holiness will happen when I'm separate from the whole world. But you know one of the things that Martin Luther brought in to our understanding? That there's a lot of sanctification, a lot of holy fine. If you look at the word sanctify, it's literally, if you look in the Greek, it's, it's hagios is holy, and sanctify is actually hagiazo, which is holy fine. Does that make sense? Okay, that's what it means. It's just a big word, but it means to holy fine, to become more holy. And what, what Martin Luther taught was that, you know what? A lot of sanctification happens in marriage. I don't know if you know that. There are a lot of things you would have gotten away with if you weren't married, those of you who are married. Because sometimes there's no accountability. But I know that there's a lot of sharpening that happens when you have your spouse saying, what is the motive behind you saying that? Where was that come from? The whole world might be applauding, but your spouse isn't. That's why one of the marks of great leadership is where those who are closest to you respect you and love you. Well, it's all very well for you to be adored by your fans, your raving fans out there. But if your spouse and your children don't look up to you and are not able to say like, wow, you are so awesome, amazing, just the way you live your life, there's a problem. Your character is, who am I? Who are you when no one is watching? But I don't know if you know, like if, 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 it's like, if your household is like our household, someone is always watching. 
<laughs> I mean, you can't really run away, even if it's the dogs. I always know where my wife is in the house because of where the dogs are, you know? If she's in a study and she's closed the door, you just see this entourage, these three beasts parked off there, and a child or two, you know, somewhere in the vicinity. Then she decides to go upstairs, following her. Can't run away, no privacy. I said to her, I want to create for her her own war room, like a real war room, closed doors, everything, private space. Okay? I mean, if you identify with me, like sometimes you just want to escape and be by yourself, but they're all these people. What do those people say about you? What do those people say about you? My wife is thinking, do you sometimes want to escape from me? <laughs> Does it apply to you, my precious one? It's all of those people out there. <laughs> okay? But what I find interesting is these guys had to learn the language and the literature of the Babylonians. And it says the official was the one who was going to teach them, wasn't it? But you know that if you skip over, and you don't have to turn there now, but if you look at verse 17, a bit later on, guess who taught them the language and the literature of the Babylonians? It says, and God taught them. God gave them understanding of the language and literature of the Babylonians. So initially, it says that they had to be taught by the official. But in verse 17, it goes on to say, God gave them that understanding. How many of you know that the Lord can add his super to your natural? If we want to influence society today, God can literally give you understanding of certain subjects. He can literally expand your mind. Back in 1998, a friend of mine said, Paul, you know what? I have a word for you. Pray over your life on a regular basis, preferably every day. Isaiah chapter 11. Pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Pray for the spirit of counsel and might. Pray for the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Pray this over your life on a daily basis. That's what this friend of mine says. And that's a regular prayer I pray over myself. Why? Because I don't have enough understanding in the natural. There are times I'm coaching an executive, I'm coaching a leader, and I'm sitting there and they ask me a question. You remember Jesus said, don't worry about what you have to say for I'll give you the words. So I've studied in the natural, but God can add a super to the natural. Show yourself faithful as someone who reads, who understands his domain, his sphere. But then add the supernatural to that. And that's where the faith of God is. That's where the blessing of God is. That's where the influence is. Verse 6 says, Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. This takes me to my third point. If we want to influence, if we really want to influence as leaders, remember I said to you, leadership is not about position, it's about influence. If we really want to be influential, we need to win the battle for our identity. We look at David and we look at Daniel and we admire him and we think this is an amazing guy. He did awesome things. But one of the key things he did was he maintained his identity. Don't let the enemy rob this from you. Win the battle for your identity. Look at verse 7. It says, the chief official gave them new names. The chief official gave them new names. How many of you know that a name speaks of? 
A name speaks of identity. A name speaks of what? And how many of you know that you live out your self-concept? You live out your identity. If I believe that I'm a cow, when you go home and you start eating that nice lunch that you're going to have, I don't know what you guys eat for lunch, but that nice lunch, I'd imagine, that you're going to have. I'm going to go and look for grass to eat. Why? I believe I'm a cow. What's the force that has the most impact on our behavior, on human behavior? People will behave in a manner that is consistent with how they've predefined themselves to be. If you've defined yourself to be a winner in life, you will win. Winning teams win. Come on now. Winning teams. Right? I remember some years ago, we were playing against um, Leeds United. When I say we, it's my team. Right? We were, we were playing against Leeds United. And Leeds United was in the FA Cup. And Leeds United was in about the third division at the time. But they came and they beat us. I think it was 2-0. And people were surprised because in those days we didn't really lose much. So people were surprised and they were like, huh? Why is Leeds beating us? What they didn't realize is Leeds United had just come out of a winning streak of about 12 games. Consistently winning. Winning teams win. When, you're consist when you see yourself as a winning team, you're more likely to win again. Because that's your self-concept. That's how you see yourself. And there will be an attack on your identity. And the kind of leader God is raising up in this hour is a leader who protects his identity. My question to you is, do you know your identity? Do you know who you are? Do you know your standards? How many of you know that knowing yourself involves a number of things? Knowing yourself involves knowing your likes, knowing your dislikes, knowing your convictions, knowing your preferences. I prefer this, I don't like that. Knowing yourself involves knowing your values, your core values, not just your espoused values that you tell everyone, your core values. The deal breakers. Amen? Amen. And I find it interesting that these guys chose to change Daniel's name. They chose to change Daniel's friends' names. And they called his friends Shadrach, Meshach, I got in trouble the one time in one church when I said, and one bad Negro, okay? Um, so, so I won't say it, because last time I said it, I got in trouble, okay? So I won't say it this time round, okay? <laughs> okay, no, and Abednego, right? I'm not saying it this time round, because last time I got in trouble. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist that. The spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. <laughs> All right. So the chief official gave them new names. The enemy wants to change your identity. Because if he can change your identity, you'll change your practices and your attitudes and your behavior. How do you see yourself? Who are you? Do you see yourself as a mighty man of God? Say, say. Or do you see yourself as just you know, a corporate leader doing his thing? So my question is, how's your family trying to identify you? What identity is your extended family placing on you? And is that identity becoming your primary identity? 
was in Swaziland a couple of days ago and I was speaking there and I would say certain things to them. I'll teach them about assertiveness and various things. At a certain time, half jokingly, you'll have some of the guys say, yeah, but that's very unswazi. And at a certain point I said, guys, 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 when you're a powerful person, you look at your culture and you say, this is the good stuff. And I love Swazi people, by the way. This is the good stuff in my culture and I'll take it. This is the stuff that's actually a bit debilitating and I'm going to put it aside. But you see, when your primary identity is whatever tribe you're a part of, whatever your cultural group is, if that's how you identify yourself primarily, there'll be certain things you end up doing that are associated with that group that you didn't really want to do. And that's why often when we counsel people as pastors and we say, the word of God says A, B, C, D. You have some people who say, "Uh uh-huh. A couple of weeks later, they'll come and they would have done the opposite thing. You say, well, what happened? Well, you know, in my family, Paul, yeah, because my aunt said, yeah, because in our family, the way we do, you've just made a decision that your primary identity is whatever your family says. It's not the word of God. The type of leader that God wants to promote in this hour is the kind of leader that says my primary identity is in Christ Jesus. It's the life of Christ in me. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ that lives in me. So what is the world trying to name you? What label is the world placing on you? If you become a very good singer, what label do you embrace? Are you now everyone else's idol? Do you embrace that like I'm your idol, guys? Or do you say, worship Jesus. My music is going to point you to Jesus. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with watching idols. I'm just saying. That's how they're labeling people. What label are you going to put on yourself? What is your family expecting from you? What is God saying? What's of ultimate value to God? In philosophy, we call it the axiological question. For those of you who like big words like Pindula, who's also Swazi. Uh, The axiological question. That's the question of what's of ultimate value? What's of ultimate value? In your life, what do you value the most? Because whatever you value the most speaks to you concerning what your real identity is. You can see someone's identity, what they're identified by, by what they value the most. Is it biblical Christian, your axiology? Or is it worldly? I'm talking about the type of leaders who God is raising up in this hour, they maintain their identity. Whenever I do things in the corporate world, I'll say, guys, I'm a pastor, at a certain point. Because sometimes I don't like the way I'm introduced by people, so at a certain point I just bring it in the way I like to introduce myself. (laughs) There have been times when people will say, okay, we really want to introduce to you Paul Nyamoda and, um, you know, this guy is very talented and he's a priest... And um, so those of you who also want the spiritual side of things, you can also partake from him, yes? Okay, so there's a way I like to introduce myself, but I, I want to be identified. I am a pastor. I'm not ashamed of being a pastor. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's God's power unto salvation. Some of you are ashamed when you're out there. When we're in prayer meetings, you can identify with Christians. 
And you will do the whole thing. Shandai, Shandai, drive my hand up. Shandai, Shandai. You will do the whole the spiritual charismatic things. The charismatic can and so on. When you're somewhere else, you dance differently. You move your body differently. But in church, charismatic can can. Right? You know when to raise your hand and so on. But the moment you get out of here, what happens to your identity? What happens to your identity? I want to be identified with Jesus. Jesus says, if anyone is ashamed of me and of my teaching, so will the Son of Man be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father's splendor. If anyone is ashamed of me and of my teaching, why does Jesus say that? Because some people aren't ashamed of Jesus' name. So they can say, yes, I'm a Christian. But they're ashamed of his teaching. They're like, ah, oh, this is too radical. People think you're extreme. I don't even know that some of the things that Jesus said were quite extreme. They were quite extreme. And today we now have a lot of lukewarm Christians. What I find interesting about Daniel is that he resolved to not defile himself. He maintained his identity, but he did it respectfully. Watch this. It's Look at the names they got, right? In verse 8 it says, But Daniel resolved. What have you resolved? Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. I remember my uncle Edward, Eunice's husband. My uncle Edward, I remember him once saying to me, I think the reason a lot of Christians fall is because they haven't pre-decided not to. They haven't made a resolution in their hearts. Very often, it's interesting, I remember going to university, and it was in our first year, back in 94, back in the day, some of you weren't born at that time. But anyway, I remember being at university, and I remember a friend of ours from school days. In fact, it was actually my last year of high school, and we were talking about purity, and we were talking about sexual purity. And I remember speaking to the one guy, this was my last year of high school, and I said, what is your stance on such and such? I don't want to go into all the graphics and all the details. What is your stance on such and such? And I remember him saying, hey guys, you never know what can happen here. Hey guys, at university, you never know what can happen. And in his particular case, it happened in his first year of university. Are you, are you hearing me? Yeah. God wants to take us to a place where we maintain our identity by making a resolution that we will not be defiled by certain things. There are certain things in this life that are not wrong in and of themselves, but what comes with them is wrong. How many feel that you can be defiled by good things? I'm going to say it again. You can be defiled by good things. Is a house a bad thing? But how many feel that your greed for that house can defile you? And we see an interesting thing here because we notice that it says in verse 8, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official, isn't it wonderful, so respectful. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. The problem with a lot of Christians is they want to influence the world, but they do it in a very legalistic manner. They do it in a very self-righteous manner. They do it in a manner of spiritual pride and they end up falling. They do it in a manner of, ah, I don't do that. But I find it interesting how Daniel said, please can I have permission not to defile myself by partaking of that because there was what came with the food and wine of the king. Remember, these guys were pagans. 
Remember these guys were pagans. How many of you have watched those movies which show you what the Babylonians were like? Right? And he knew that, you know what? The more I sit there with them, doing this, doing that, I will defile myself. And he didn't say like, you guys are wicked, you guys are evil. He just says, can I have permission? I appreciate you guys doing that. I know you're honoring us by doing this and you're including us. But can I have permission just not to? Can I just step aside? Now watch this. I find it very interesting. So <laughs> he did it so respectfully. He did so, so respectfully. My fourth point is this. Great leaders enroll others. Great leaders do what? They enroll others. And what I found in this nation is that many people, many people, even in this room right now, are very good executors, very good doers, very good implementers. You say to them, can you do this? They do it. But there are few leaders we have in our society. I said to you last week, the gap we have in this nation, we've got a fathering gap, we've got a leadership gap. So people keep talking about the stalwarts of old, the guys who we read about. And my question right now is, where are the leaders of today? Where are the people who are influencing today, this hour, right now? Where are the men who are rising up and are in charge of their families and actually saying to their kids, you know, keeping them under control? When guys are burning up these libraries and things like that, my question is, where's the dad? Where's the mom? Where's the person that person looks up to who will listen to them? Great leaders enroll others. Whatever vision you have right now, my question to you is, are you bringing others alongside? Whether it's in your home, in your business, at the school, the TUT students, where are you? Okay? Are you influencing? Are you enrolling others? I find it interesting when I read this passage of scripture, if Daniel was not in the equation, because Daniel was clearly the leader amongst his peers, amongst his friends, if Daniel was not in the equation, would Shadrach, Meshach, and the other guy, <laughs> would Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would they have gone and enjoyed the food and wine of the Babylonians? I'm just wondering, who was influencing here? I've got a sneaky suspicion that Daniel influenced his friends and says, ah, guys, because he seemed to be their spokesperson. Isn't it interesting? And I find it interesting that you see, great leaders are able to inspire others to go with them. If you look at some of the latest research on leadership, which is one of my passions, if you look at one of the latest things coming out today, the greatest leaders today are able to lead beyond the old boys club. Yes. I'm going to say it again. The greatest leaders today are able to lead beyond the old boys club. In other words, they're able to lead people who are not like them. If you're in a situation right now where you're a man, raise your hand if you're good at leading women in the workplace. Okay? So just say say. John. <laughs> if you're a man, raise your hand if you're good with women. I'm talking about in terms of leadership. <laughs> I know some guys. I know some guys were about to say, hey, yeah, this is where we <laughs> Okay, women, ladies, how many of you are good at leading men? Don't be shy. I know we're in church and some of you might say, is it okay to lead men? Is it okay? Yes, it's fine. Like Deborah's. How many Deborah's do we have? You see, a key question to ask is, are you able to lead people who are not like you? 
a lot of people have limited their leadership and the enrolling of others to just their ethnic group. I speak to some people and I say, when you see yourself in the next 10 years, they say, in that corner office, I pulled that corner I say, are you interacting with those people right now as we speak? Do you interact with people at that level? Oh, Paul, they're in another league. I've got my boys, I've just got my boys. You've just shown me that you're unable to influence upward. You're unable to influence people who you perceive to be more powerful and more senior than you. You see, leadership is not about position. Leadership is the ability to lead from the middle, to influence sideways, to influence upward, to influence downward. How many of you are good at leading people and enrolling people who are from a different ethnic group? Raise your hand. Okay, great. Because you have some people who've got that mindset that is limited. There was one lady in a session I did, and she said, you see, the problem is, in my team, I'm by myself. Are you by yourself? Yes. And this was, what's your definition of by myself? I'm by myself. I think I was teaching on difficult conversations. I'm by myself. Because you see, I'm a young African female. And everyone else is old Afrikaans male. So I'm by myself. <laughs> You see, if your primary identity is the color of your skin or the language you speak or your gender, yeah. you will feel by yourself in those instances. But God wants us to rise up as leaders where we can say, and I said to her, I said to her, that's based on a perception because maybe you've got a lot of things in common with those people. Maybe you live in the same neighborhood. Maybe their grandkids go to the same school as your kids. Maybe you studied the same thing as them. How many of you are good at leading people who are from a different academic background? Guys, it's important if you want to influence. I know there's some people out there in the corporate world who say, yeah, Paul, because, you know, at least uh, with the other CAs, they understand this kind of thing. But, you know, with people who aren't CAs, they don't really get... Yeah, so problem with people with non-CAs, Paul. I'm thinking to myself, and I know it irritates everyone. You know, it irritates people, doesn't it? But the question is, Whatever your profession is, you should be able to lead beyond it and enroll other people. Are you hearing me today? I've got people who will say things like, and I'm quoting you real life stories, who say, you know, Paul, but we, see, some of the people are non-degreed. And Paul, with the non-degreed people, it happens. And I'm, th I'm thinking to myself, you should be able to lead people who are less educated than you. And... You should be able to lead people who are more educated than you. Because you'll always find them. I know we all think we're educated, but you'll always find those people who are more educated than you. Can you lead them? My question to you is those convictions that you have today. To what extent are you like Daniel, who enrolled others and says, guys, come with me. Guys, come with me. Let's do this thing. That's leadership. I think I shared with you last week, there's an old Chinese proverb that says, if, you're thinking, if you think you're leading people but no one is following you, you're merely taking a walk. And there are lots of people today who are just taking a walk. They say, it's my way on the highway, shape up or ship out. There's no one following them. Can you lead children? Can you influence children? The fifth thing I want to raise is that we need to identify who God has given us favor with. 
I find it so interesting when you look at verse 9. It says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to, to Daniel. Guys, this is such a powerful scripture. God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Some people say, God has shown me favor. But very often he does it through people. That's why the Bible says he was given favor with both God and man. Why? Because very often God will show us his favor through specific people. It might be your enemies. And they'll treat you in a certain way. And you know the mistake a lot of us make? Why we don't experience our promotion? You know what it is? We're not aware of who that person is. We're not aware of who that person is. So you see the individual and God has caused that person to show you favor. But because of your prejudice toward that person, that this person of this skin color, who's of this accent, who speaks this way, can never be the source or the vehicle that God uses to bless me. So you block them out. And you don't even give them a chance. Now something I find very powerful here is that it's so similar to an experience that Jesus had. Question I want to ask you is, who's your man with the picture? Have you known that when Jesus needed a cult, he had a cult. When Jesus needed an upper room, he had an upper room. He had favor. But I'm going to know that there were people who would give him the cult. There were people who would give him the boat. There were people who would give him the upper room. Now watch this. In Matthew 14, verse 12 to 14, it says, On the first day of unleavened, unleavened, unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city. Sometimes you have to go somewhere to experience your breakthrough. Go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. My question to you is, who's your man with the pitcher? Who is your woman with the pitcher? It says, follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? My question to you this morning is, if you want to grow as a leader, you have to walk in the favor of God. But that favor is going to come through various people around you. My key question to you this morning is, have you identified who those people are? Or have you dismissed them? It could be a child who comes to you wanting you to do something for him or her but you dismiss them because of your selfishness yet that was your man with the picture that was the person for you to follow into your breakthrough because god uses people who are your men and women of peace in a city jesus gave the instructions to the disciples and he says when you go into that particular city Find someone who's worthy of your peace and stay there. Do you remember that? Find someone who's worthy of peace and stay there. Remain there. And if they're not worthy of peace, what do you do? You leave it. You shake the dust off your feet. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Okay? Just leave and shake the dust off your feet. Terminate. 
the relationship. It's a whole teaching in itself. Won't go there right now. Who's your man and woman of peace in the city? Who's the man with the picture in the city? Who has God actually chosen and appointed for you to experience favor through? If I think of my relationship, for example, if I think of people like Ceci, let me talk about Ceci, but you might feel uncomfortable when I say this. One of the things, when I think of people like Ceci, I got to know Ceci about a number of years ago and I was coaching him. And he'll know and he'll tell you that I went the extra mile and poured myself into his life. But what happened is that Ceci experienced multiple promotions thereafter and moved into various places. And I was reflecting recently, and I was actually speaking about this in Swaziland recently, that you know what? Never underestimate people. See the treasure in someone initially. Because as a result of the work that I did for him, other people around noticed it. And they said, you know what? We want you to do more. And then other institutions began to notice it and say, oh, who's this guy? And I realized that one of the roles that he plays in my life, he might think I'm a blessing to him, but one of the roles that he plays in my life is he's one of the men of peace in this region, in this area, for me, in the, in the area, in terms of what I want to do in terms of business-wise. And there are a number of those types of people. Does that make sense? Now, I could have disregarded it. I could have said, like, who's this guy? Like, he keeps asking me this and wants to talk about this. But the Lord showed me from way back that there was something in him. And you know what? Because of that, and because he was faithful in doing that, guess what's going to happen? There's increase over his life. There's multiple promotions that I'm seeing over his life. Why? He'll go certain places, and you know what he's going to do? When he gets into some of those places, he'll say, Ah, Paul, I need your help here. Does that make sense? That's how God operates. It's an interdependence. Maybe you are the man with the picture for someone else. And maybe that person is annoying you, or maybe you view them in a certain way, but you have to guard your relationship with some of those people. And as you are faithful in the assignment God has given you in that person's life, God will also raise you up. That's just how he works. Are you getting this this morning? You know, when I start off my days, one of the things I like to do is to say, I'm really grateful. I'm really grateful that today I'm going to be meeting influential people that will take my career to its next level. And guess what I'm always noticing? Those people. Where many other people will be seeing the very same people, but they won't be recognizing them as their man with the picture. I'm really grateful that on a daily basis I'm meeting influential people who will take things to another level for me. And I want to be that for other people. I want to create platforms for other people. So my question to you is, who around you are you playing the role of being the man with the picture for? And who's your man with the picture? Who's championing your cause? This is so important. How many of you know that for Joseph, things changed when that man with the picture was no longer there? Things changed for Joseph. It says that there is a Pharaoh who arose. Have a look at Exodus chapter 1, verse 8 to 9. It says, Now a king, a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. 
How many of you know that there's a time and a season for various things and seasons change? And there might be a season where there's someone in this room right now who's your man with the picture. They're knocking on your door. They want to connect with you and they are key and they're instrumental to your next level of promotion in God. But the problem is you're not recognizing it. And then this will be spoken of you that a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Now, some of you might say, but no, Paul, it was in the providence of God anyway. But I'm telling you right now, there are things that happen in our lives on a daily basis that would otherwise not have happened if we seized the opportunity when we saw our man with the picture. How many of you know that great leaders don't just see opportunities? Great leaders seize opportunities. When I preached on that, embracing opportunities, for those of you who weren't here, now watch this. It says in verse 10, But the official said, told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. How many of you know that you can sometimes ask someone for a favor? You can ask someone for permission, but they're afraid. But don't go based on their fear. Go based on your level of boldness. Listen to that very carefully. Don't go based on someone else's fear. Keep pushing based on your level of boldness. Because other people would have just stopped and said, hey, this guy's afraid. Let's look at plan B. But look what Daniel did. He says, this guy had said, why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. But what Daniel did was he gave this official a solution. So my, my statement to you right now, and this is my sixth and final point, be bold and courageous where others are fearful. If you want to establish yourself as a leader in this nation, ask yourself, what is everyone in my industry afraid of? And make sure you're full of courage in those same areas. If you want to establish yourself as a leader in your family and your extended family, ask yourself the question, what is my family afraid of? And make sure you're bold and courageous in that environment. How many of you know that sometimes you can just have one person in your family who's very controlling and everyone tiptoes around them? And all it takes is a leader to rise up and actually confront that individual. And in many cases, confront the spirit behind that individual. And then everyone else realizes, why are we so afraid? I still remember being in Malawi in 1989. I was on a choir tour. Yes, I used to be in the choir. Okay? I'm just waiting for the, for the choir to grow to be a full choir. And my voice can just blend in. But the point is, I remember being on a choir tour. Temple, you were part of that choir. It's another temple, not Mom T, but Temple, an old friend of ours. Okay? Um, I remember being part of that choir and being in Malawi. And I was in this dugout canoes there. And there was a guy. He was kind of helping us across the lake and going in the lake. And I'm not a good swimmer. I can swim, but I'm not a good swimmer. You know what I'm saying? There's swimmers and there's swimmers. And I remember being there, being there. And this guy kept on saying, why so fled? Why so fled, Paul? Paul, why so fled? You know, just came back to me. But sometimes we need to say to the people, sorry, if you know Malawians, you'll know what I'm talking about. But sometimes we need to say to some people, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? And what I found interesting is that Daniel did not let the official's fear stop him from making a request. Instead, he made his request in a manner that gave hope to the official. 
Don't make choices based on other people's fear. You see, their story doesn't have to be your story. Some of you are in a situation where in your family, everyone tries to coach you and say, never challenge this person on this issue. Say to those people, your story doesn't have to be my story. Your level of fear is not my level of fear. He has not given me a spirit of timidity, but a power, love, and a sound mind. People in the workplace who are being bullied by individuals, there's workplace bullying, right? Right? We're being bullied by individuals today. When you join that organization, everyone tries to coach you. Don't talk to this person. Yeah, just make sure. Ooh, don't do this person. Ah, don't do this. Don't do. Say to them, your story does not need to be my story. I'm not you. I have a different identity. Now watch this. God is your source. He will make things work out. Daniel knew that he had favor from God. Despite the fact that that official was afraid. So he proposed something that a fearful official would end up agreeing to. Daniel knew the key to his promotion was stopping himself from being defiled in that environment. So he did whatever it took to make sure he was not defiled. Despite the fact that there was an official who was afraid. So... He made this proposal, verse 11. Daniel then said to the God whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. So he didn't make a big deal about it. He just said, let's just see, just let's test this thing. Just test out my proposal for just 10 days. You're not stuck with this for life, let's just see for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Isn't that powerful? Do not let other people's fear stop you from doing what God has called you to do. Let's pray.